0: Good
1: evening and welcome to another edition of Today with Dr. Wendy. My co-host Larry Dersham and I have a very exciting show for you tonight. But first, we are on the eve of Valentine's Day. Where has the time gone? It has been just a blink from last year when Valentine's Day of course was almost on the heels of going into lockdown as we did last March, if you can believe that, it's almost been a year. But Valentine's Day is necessarily going to be celebrated a bit differently this year because we are in an entirely different set of circumstances. Now, one of the things that I've written about is obviously what kinds of fun things can you nonetheless go out and do on Valentine's Day? But how do you do them all in a mask, especially because eating and drinking is a Valentine's Day tradition, isn't it? You make You make reservations at one of your favorite restaurants. Uh, It's one of those things that you order special things, you splurge, maybe you order a bottle of champagne or Martinelli's or whatever you like, but it is going to look and feel a bit differently this year. Now, Larry, thankfully, most of the restaurants are open again, although we're all going to be freezing out on the patio <laughs> right. if we're not blown away by the winds that some areas of the county are uh, are going to be experiencing. But do you and your sweetheart have any uh, sort of restaurant already picked out?
2: Well, I think it's also the Vietnamese New Year, and we're going to be getting some really good uh, Vietnamese type food to celebrate that. And what you say in Vietnamese is Chuk Mung Nam Mui. It means Happy New Year in Vietnamese for that's the terrific. listening audience, but it's kind of interesting with, with the mask mandate, this is going to be a different kind of Valentine's day, Wendy. And I got this uh, from a TV show and I modified it a little bit. They say that love is in the air, but they're wrong. Nitrogen, oxygen, carbon dioxide, and now COVID-19 are in the air. Ha ha. <laughs> so, haha
1: Well, that's why uh, we, that's why the mask, right? Exactly.
2: Exactly. And, uh, well,
1: Larry, did you read my uh, psychology today article on dating, masked, masked dating, masked courtship, and all the different ways in which, uh, the eyes have it? As I conclude,
2: exactly, yeah, they do. That was a wonderful article. And, uh, yeah, I just, uh, you know, really appreciate so much how you write those wonderful articles. But, uh, th- that's what I thought to me when I, I see all the people wearing masks, whether you're, uh, you know, shopping for food or, or, or at a Home Depot or something like that, is that symbolically people look muzzled, almost like an animal, like it's muzzling their speech. And I think it's in a form, it's a way of psychologically conditioning us to obey the government. But to go on to the more on point uh, answer to your question, I think, in my opinion, as a man, women still look beautiful with masks on, with their eyes. You can tell uh, just by seeing their eyes. But what I do miss is the smiles the beautiful smiles and those are covered up now which is unfortunate
1: not entirely remember the mona lisa you can smile with every every feature of your face and the research larry very interesting the research that i've done in this talks about the reality that we tend to trust each other more if we can lock eyes, if we can look, if we can actually see at least the eyes. Now I know they have those transparent masks and they have shields and they have other ways in which we can actually show more of our faces. But Larry, even if all we saw, the facts have been jury, uh, there's been uh, experiments on juries done this way too, when how much of a witness can you see to tell credibility? But even if we can only see the eyes, we really can learn more about each other and feel closer together than if we didn't, than if we were simply talking on the phone or in text messaging. So even if we have to wear a mask, there is still chemistry and bonding that is possible on Valentine's Day.
2: That's a great uh, analogy. I, I agree 100% with everything you said. And uh, to to me, I think the mask, especially the cloth mask, Wendy, I did a little uh, update research on this where Dr. Fauci is saying, well, we might want to wear two masks. And I just think that could be... There could be some negative long-term health effects that are not realized yet, as we keep on breathing in our own, uh, you know, CO two and so forth, carbon dioxide and so forth. And uh, I think the main reason, at least for the cloth mask, is that it keeps out, it keeps us from touching our face. And I've heard. Yeah,
1: that. that's a good point. That's a great point. So the the couple a couple of lessons and a little bit of. Um, Valentine's Day wisdom Larry and I are giving uh, double masking is okay double dipping is still not okay yes, exactly. all right so I have a wonderful Valentine's Day uh, weekend now the biggest news that came out today of course was the acquittal of ex-president Trump uh, the most interesting week Larry you and I from a legal and constitutional perspective have as advocates really been watching this and and with with a a lot of academic analysis, I will say, because we've talked a lot about procedure and process and how different this is from a real courtroom. I mean, we've never seen anything like this. So the Senate chamber became a courtroom, but you had a trial take place at the crime scene on the Senate floor where the senators were the witnesses and the victims, as well as both jurors and judge so this was unprecedented in terms of process to begin with but that sort of permeated almost everything that went on in there obviously because it wasn't a real courtroom we didn't have the kind of legal and evidentiary safeguards but we sure did have a lot of sensational evidence that included both flash and substance
2: yeah we had 57 senators voted to impeach you needed 67 Uh, to make it a done deal. So they fell short by 10. 43 people, our senators, voted not guilty. Now, what's a little bit disturbing to me, uh, and I'm a conservative, I admit that, is that there were a lot of- You're kidding
1: me, Larry. Yeah.
2: Did you know that? I I need to let you know that. And uh, there there were a number of um, Republicans that voted in favor of conviction. And that, to me, is upsetting to me. I thought the evidence, if you could even call it, that was very anecdotal. Uh, You you know, just it was a just telling stories how they they felt they didn't really present any uh, major evidence. So it was a very weak case. So the fact that they would actually vote to impeach this uh, president twice is is troubling to me.
1: Well, I think that the issue they were asked to discuss was very challenging because the single article of impeachment actually included so many different substantive facts and allegations that I can imagine the senators were probably confused. Well, what if we believe maybe some of it, we think he may have, his speech may have been reckless, but I mean, even one in the closing arguments, one of the uh, house managers basically conceded that it really wasn't about the speech on January the 6th. Perhaps it was so confusing that now you still didn't have all the Democrats vote to convict, but even Republicans who were outraged at what happened on the 6th and maybe even outraged that the president's speech on the 6th still weren't presented with enough evidence that the president incited what happened on the 6th and nor was that term even defined for their purposes as it would have been in a court of law but you'd have a jury instruction it would be very specific so it just really shows that it's tricky it's different and it's challenging to try a pub, an ex-public official which of course was an, was another layer of ambiguity something that mitch mcconnell talked about right afterwards There were just so many moving parts that you wonder whether Republicans who might otherwise maybe might have voted for conviction just weren't really provided with that option in the forum and in the single article that was selected.
2: I agree. And it was really interesting. Tucker Carlson on Fox News did a wonderful thing about the unfortunate deaths of five people that day on January 6th. It turns out that what was being spun as like people being hurt. They were all apparently Trump supporters. One woman was accidentally trampled. Another man suffered a heart attack. A second man suffered a stroke. The fourth person, Ashley Babbitt from San Diego, unfortunately was shot by a police officer. Mm. That was so tragic. And then the fifth person, this was the most controversial of all. He was a Capitol police officer named Brian Sicknick. And they said that he was hit in the head with a fire extinguisher by one of the rioters. Well, it turns out that he wasn't, that he talked on his... Uh, to his brother on the phone after everybody had left and said that he did get sprayed with tear gas, but he was not hit in any way in the head. So all five people, you know, it, it may not be what you seem. It's very unfortunate, but it was kind of spun differently in the mainstream news.
1: You know, it was it, what's interesting about what you just said, Larry, is one of the most poignant and viscerally disturbing parts of the trial is having to relive what happened on yes. January the sixth. Every single one of us is united yes. in our outrage about what happened at the Capitol. But to make the trial just about that and not about the president's intent, or or so, or that's what I mean to prove that that's what he wanted to have lives lost, and that's a hard sell. Now, that may not actually have been what they were selling. They probably were looking for less than that. But that still was undefined and ambiguous. And I think that was part of the part of the challenge. I'll give you one more. Um, I'll put my trial lawyer hat back on since I've been doing it for 25 years. Uh, oversaturation. There were some people that watched the trial that were disturbed, that it seemed to be more about the riot on the Capitol than about trying the ex-president for the riot on the Capitol. And just to bring back all that emotional pain for all of us, there was, there was a question as to really whose side that really benefited. It's kind of like Larry back in the 70s and the 80s when you and I grew up where there was that one song on the radio that we just loved, but then it became overplayed. Larry, I'll bet you can name a song that would fit into that category for you. And maybe, I don't know, did you grow up in the 80s? Or maybe you're a little older than that. I don't
2: know. (laughs) Well, you know, I can listen to some of the the older stations too, even though I'm not giving away my age. But one example would be this one, this was out of the 60s. I mean, this is Way, way back. It's called Louie Louie by the Kingsman. And they played that thing over and over and over again. And it's still kind of a great song for dancing, at least. And uh, there were a number of Bob Dylan songs that they played over and over again, like a Rolling Stone, uh, so forth that, that they did kind of reach that oversaturation, uh, oversaturation point. And I, I understand that. So you're right about okay. that.
1: Okay, and I, I know perfectly well you're not old enough to have heard those live on the radio, so <laughs> we'll just leave it there. Okay. okay, so don't touch that dial. Maybe you grew up with a television Larry. Maybe you are that old. I remember that. Uh, we are going to have a very interesting guest after the break who is responsible for Hundreds of pastors and ministers and churches who's going to talk about the recent decision that says they can reopen. So stay with us. You're listening to Today with Dr. Wendy. We are back in a flash.
0: News cycle lowlights have no place here. You're listening to the headline highlights on Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. It's time for more news you can use. The headlines streamline. It's time for more Today with Dr. Wendy. Now here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick.
1: Welcome back to Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick. My co-host and I have a special treat for you the second half. And it has to do with something that is being celebrated uh, by churches all over the nation. We had a, a big ruling Uh, last week that really paved the way to get back into worship, uh, worship together. Worship corporately, as we say, as Christians. Now, we already know we have religious freedoms in this country. However, we also know that we have valid health concerns. And we have to figure out how to strike a balance. But the question that's been asked many times, repeatedly, consistently, over the course of the last 10 months, has been at what point Does medical emergency trump religious freedom? Well, Larry, I understand we have a guest today who has been on literally on the front lines of this battle and just won a major victory. Larry, who do we have?
2: Yes, today, Wendy, we're privileged to have with us Bishop Art Hodges. Bishop Art Hodges is senior pastor of the South Bay Pentecostal Church in Chula Vista and has been there for 37 years as senior pastor. He's currently Southern California District Superintendent of the United Pentecostal Church International and has been in that position for 13 years. In addition to all these responsibilities, Pastor Art Hodges is bishop of 235 pastors and ministers of more than 100 churches including 25 in San Diego County. As you can see, Bishop Hodges is a busy man, but things began to get even more interesting for him in March of 2020 when the COVID-19 lockdown started and the state of California deemed churches to be non-essential businesses, closing their doors to in-person worship services throughout the state, not being one to sit back and let the state violate the freedom of worship provisions of the U S and California constitution. Bishop Hodges took it, took the state to the uh, court all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court, and I'm pleased to report he just won a case last week, but I want to let him tell his story in his own words. So welcome to the program, Bishop Hodges.
3: Thank you, Larry. Thank you, Wendy, for having me on.
1: Now, Bishop Hodges, I know why you are as successful as you are, because in addition to the advocacy, the preaching, the administration, the supporting of all those pastors and churches. I know you're also a licensed pilot, a certified scuba diver, and I understand you came out of retirement and took fifth place recently in the World Racquetball Senior World Games. Oh my goodness. (laughs) If you can do all of that, I think you could probably do anything.
3: Well, hey, with this fight, regarding religious liberties, not only that, I got God on my side on this battle. You do. So, so, yeah. Amen.
1: Amen. Amen. Offer it up, my friend. Amen. Well, tell us a little bit about uh, how this all played out for you, including leading up to your big win.
3: Yeah, sure. Well, it started legally in the courts, in the federal district court. It started on May eight. May eight is the date that uh, Governor Newsom announced publicly the reopening of California after the first shutdowns. And he said that uh, by next week, 70% of California business will be back up and operational. But he left churches out of that equation. And so hours after that, we filed that same day in the federal district court. And it's been quite a journey from May until now. So we actually have had three denials at the federal district court. We've had two denials at the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. And we had one denial at the Supreme Court way back uh, May 29. In fact, we were the first case the Supreme Court ruled on during the pandemic back uh, back in May. And from filing May 8 to the Supreme Court, we were there in 15 days. Some kind of record, probably, for how quickly we got before the Supreme Court. But uh, so we've stayed in this fight. But the good news is that we won a major, major victory uh, Friday, fe- uh, February 5 at the Supreme Court level, and based on our uh, appeal to the Supreme Court, they struck down Governor Newsom's total ban on indoor worship in the state of California. So literally millions of Californians can now go back to their houses of worship, worship indoors without fear of being a criminal or being fined or their pastor being arrested or what have you. And I'm receiving so many uh, thanks from so many different uh, so many Catholic churches have reached out thanking me. Uh, Senator Brian Jones uh, sent me a, a text a couple of days ago. Uh, Shannon Grove, I was with her a couple of days ago in Las, in Pasadena. And uh, and her and Brian Jones, by the way, are introducing, she said, I think next week, the new uh, religious Religion is Essential Act. Uh, so that's wonderful. We'll see what all that's about. But, but we're just so thrilled. Thank God we've got a major victory. Now, it's not the end of the war. Uh, because they left in place, temporarily, they left in place a 25% capacity limit on the buildings, and they left in place the no singing ban, but they stressed that's temporary. We've got to continue litigating that. They need more on the record. So it's not the end of the war, but it's the end of a major battle. It's a turning point in this whole fight, and we believe it signals that total victory is going to be soon in hand.
2: That's great. Bishop Hodges, what's really going on, in your opinion, with all these church restrictions? I mean, liquor stores, marijuana dispensaries, abortion clinics are left open. Is this government animus towards religion, or is it just a coronavirus health and safety concern for the state of California?
3: Well, I wish I could say it's just a health and safety concern. And while we might have believed that early on, it's becoming apparent that it's not. It's, it's more than that. Like you cited, liquor stores, marijuana dispensaries, abortion clinics. Uh, and, and then on top of that, think of this. Airplanes are flying full. I'm actually in Sacramento right now, and I flew up here, not a single empty seat on the airplane. And that's all okay, and that's deemed safe. And yet somehow it's not safe to go to a church. You know, my church uh, legally can have 731 people in it. And they're saying that, you know, well, until we got the ban lifted, they were saying it was illegal for even one person to be in that building. It it makes no sense at all. It's totally discriminatory. And that's what the Supreme Court acknowledged and recognized. And I believe we're going to get resounding victories. I I really believe they're going to lift all the caps. and, And we're willing to, you know, spatial distance and wear masks and do all the normal CDC protocols that are generally applicable to all other, you know, enterprises that are allowed to legally... Uh, operate we're okay with that we're not even asking for the constitutional exception which we do have by the way we're just asking for equality we're just asking to be treated you know with equity and that's not happening there is discrimination against churches against the free exercise of religion in the state of california without question and we've got to have the supreme court absolutely uh take take that away no more restrictions on churches
1: well, Bishop Hodges, you're also citing some very practical concerns. You know, every time we look at uh, whether or not relations or uh, whether or not rules and regulations are actually related to outbreaks and transmission, um, the very practical right. sites that you just gave us, I mean, the every seat filled on an airplane versus 25 percent in churches. Um, one right. thing that always strikes me is the amount of time somebody spends in a particular venue, like one would mm-hmm. uh, understand why you wouldn't want a bar to be open on the Super Bowl where everybody is yelling and screaming for three hours, but restaurants that are socially distanced on the patio, like we can see those differences. But when it comes to uh, a church atmosphere, where you, like you said, you everybody is sanitized and gloved and masked and socially distanced, mm-hmm. it becomes harder, I understand as the argument, it becomes harder to justify why you can't you can't safely worship corporately in that venue where it's perfectly okay to sit all on top of each other for four hours or more on an airplane so what is your next step in basically trying to eliminate all restrictions on worship
3: sure well number one we reopened our doors for indoor worship on may 31 and we've not closed our doors since we've have a we've had over 90 worship in gathering inside in person experiences we don't have a single covid transmission not one and that record perfect record's been cited at the ninth district Uh, it's been cited at the supreme court we don't have a single case of covid transmission so i would say you know here's what i would say to businesses and all this government we're all wanting the same thing we want people to be safe we don't want people to die from covid we all want the same thing well listen if you've got a, an enterprise, whether it's a, a restaurant, a, a church or whatever, that has a perfect record, don't shut them down. Go ask them what they're doing and tell other people, you know, if you'll do this, you keep, you continue operating. But, but why shut businesses and industries and churches down that, that haven't been part of the problem? We're, we're part of the solution. That part n- makes no sense, uh, either. So, so we're saying, uh, yes, you can do both. You can safely worship, uh, we, we, you can do both. It's it's not an it's not an either or. It's a both. It seems and, we should... oh, the next steps. So let me let go, me tell you the next steps. So we're ahead. litigating. We're back in federal court litigating uh, the no singing ban and, and the percentage cap. So we're relitigating that. we will continue fighting this to the very end. We are committed.
2: That's great. It seems like the last couple of decades, Bishop Hodges, we've, been, we've kind of turned uh, towards leftism or socialism. It's invaded government, media, education, and even some churches, I understand. How do we turn that around?
3: Well, here, here, you're exactly right about that. And here's what it comes down to. You can boil everybody's ideology down to one of two beliefs. You either believe God created man or you believe man created God. It all comes down to that. And, and that gives rise to different political ideologies, et cetera. You know, the first churches, uh, the first schools in America were in churches. The first colleges were Bible colleges. The first universities were seminaries, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, et cetera. But in 1962, prayer was removed from public schools. 1963, the Bible was removed. 1968, evolution was re- uh, replaced creation. And now we're seeing that fruit play out in, the, in, in politics. It used to be in politics right versus left. It no longer is. It's now right. Versus wrong, and so we've got to turn people back to God, back to the Bible, and and l- listen up for something called Revive California. Maybe we can come back on and talk about Revive California, but we're fixing the law. That's perfect in California. Revive
1: Thank you. We're right at the end of the show, so let me thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure, and we're ending on a high note, like we always do. Um, so, we'd also like to thank our listeners. Have a wonderful, safe weekend and a happy Valentine's Day. Please join us next week for a big surprise in terms of some of the guests that we're going to have. But you're listening to Today with Dr. Wendy, Headlines with a Silver Lining. Have a wonderful week and God bless you.